You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome to Aaron Menke's Cabinet of Curiosities, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. Art is an ever-evolving concept. From ancient cave paintings to Egyptian hieroglyphs and all the way through Impressionism, Cubism, and Campbell's soup cans, the art world never stands still. But beyond the images themselves, how they're made has also changed. Those cave paintings were done using ground-up minerals like ochre and charcoal. Artists like Rembrandt and Van Gogh worked in paints made of linseed oil and pigments to achieve their signature looks. But in the 15th and 16th centuries, a different material was introduced to the process. And by today's standards, its origin was highly unusual and controversial. It all started with the ancient Greeks and their use of a thing called bitumen. It was a black, viscous substance that was utilized in various applications, from construction to curing the common toothache. We also use bitumen today, but mainly for paving roads and filling in potholes, as bitumen is commonly known as asphalt. To the Greeks, though, it was a miracle substance, typically found seeping from the ground throughout Persia. One 12th century physician, though, wrote a lot about ancient Egypt and a substance that he mistakenly believed was also bitumen. You see, he had seen the blackened nature of the embalmed bodies there, and he thought that they had been coated in it. In the event the natural supply ever grew scarce, he claimed the viable substitute for bitumen could be harvested from these ancient Egyptian corpses. In reality, that black substance on them was just the embalming materials that had darkened over time, giving them their unique coloring. Persians had their own word for bitumen, which they called mum, or mamia. This word was also found in Arabic, and if it sounds familiar, that's because the word specifically applied to the kind of bitumen that came from Egyptian bodies. Eventually, mamia became the term we know today. Mummy. Due to the widely held belief that bitumen had medicinal properties, though, an extensive mummy trade was established between Egypt and Europe. It grew quite big during the 16th century, with imported mummies being ground up into powders for various tinctures and elixirs. The use of mummies in medicine all but died out in the late 1700s, but many were still in circulation across Europe. Some were collected by the wealthy, while others were desecrated for entertainment purposes. Unwrapping parties even became popular, where mummified remains had their shrouds and wrappings removed so that the bodies inside could be examined by the gathered audience. But it was the art world that found a new way to use an old material. The ground-up mummia powder that had been used in various medical applications was now being mixed in with oils and watercolors to create a new pigment known as mummy brown. And while mummy brown did first appear during the 16th century, it really hit it big a few hundred years later. 
Artists like Edward Byrne Jones and Martin Drolling used it in their paintings. Those who preferred it enjoyed how it behaved against the canvas. But as times changed, so did attitudes around the mummy trade. For one, other artists and critics found the pigment's origins to be off-putting. After all, trafficking in mummies was a vulgar act that disrespected the dead. Burns Jones had believed that the name was simply a descriptor and not an indication of the contents within the tube. When a fellow artist and member of his family confirmed it was true, and the realization offended Edward so much, he went and buried his tube of mummy brown in his garden. Among those who helped with the burial was his nephew, who was visiting him for Christmas. Though he was a young man at the time, he would go on to great acclaim as a prominent writer in the 19th and 20th centuries. That young man? Rudyard Kipling. In addition to the color's provenance, the quality of the paint could also not be guaranteed. Not all mummies were created equally, it seems, and so while one tube of brown paint might be perfect, another might be rendered unusable. By the 20th century, mummy brown was over. But mummy brown still exists today. The only difference now is that it's made from different minerals, easily found in nature, and not graves. Proof that sometimes a curious history can also be a little bit colorful. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. It's spring and with the weather changing and so many great things coming up like Mother's Day and the wind down tour, I definitely need a fresh spring wardrobe for every occasion. This spring, I'm looking for that perfect flowy spring dress for Mother's Day as well as replacing my everyday basics. That's what I love about JCPenney. They have so many stylish and comfortable options that I always find just what I'm looking for there. Spring is a feel-good season and comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. The fashion at JCPenney is the same way. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with styles that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her. Each in women's petite and plus sizes, and Stafford and Mutual Weave for him, style and comfort for all, even big and tall. Plus even more for the whole family like Levi's and Exertion. Here spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. 
We don't realize it as it's happening, but our children grow up right before our eyes. One moment they're babies, depending on us for every diaper change and bottle feeding, and the next moment they're getting married and starting families of their own. And somewhere in between, they grow. They develop personalities and pick up things like mannerisms and beliefs from the people around them. Parents, teachers, siblings, friends. Everyone contributes something to who they become. Like Madeline. She was born Marie-Madeleine Jure in 1678 in a suburb of Montreal, Canada. Her father, Francois, was a soldier who arrived in town in 1665 to fight in the Beaver Wars against the Iroquois people. Four years later, he married Marie Perrault and then moved to a plot of land along the St. Lawrence River. And the couple did well for themselves, with Francois becoming quite the landholder while Marie raised a dozen children, of which Madeleine was the fourth oldest. Now, the Beaver Wars carried on in some capacity for about a hundred years, with new battles cropping up every now and then. The Iroquois fur trade had been destroyed by the Algonquins and their French backers, sparking a lengthy fight between the two sides. On one occasion, Madeline's mother even helped stave off an attack on the fort where they lived, thanks to the help of four other soldiers. But in 1692, when she was only 14 years old, Madeline was forced to step up to the front lines. Both her mother and her father had left town to attend to business and gather supplies. While they were gone, the children stayed back at the fort with several others. Meanwhile, the Iroquois had arrived in town, looting and setting fire to people's homes. Despite the threat, a few of the people from the fort set out into the fields to do some work, and eight soldiers followed for protection. Madeline stayed close by, tending to the cabbage garden. And that's when the Iroquois attacked, capturing the men in the fields before heading toward the fort. Madeline ran back, chased by one of the Iroquois who got close enough to grab the scarf around her shoulders. Thinking fast, she untied it and darted inside the fort, shouting, To arms, to arms! The small garrison inside wouldn't be enough to fend off the incoming forces, but Madeline wasn't about to give up. She picked up a musket and fired shots from different points around the fort, and told others to do the same. And then she shot off a cannon, a signal to other forts that they were under attack and in need of reinforcements. Her goal was to make as much noise as possible, to fool the Iroquois into thinking the fort was fully armed with soldiers at the ready. And they bought it. They hid on the outskirts of the trees and bushes, along with the settlers they had taken prisoner. Not long after, a canoe was seen drifting down the river toward them. On board was a family by the last name of Fontaine. Someone had to go and retrieve them before they too were taken captive. But none of the soldiers were willing to leave the fort. So 14-year-old Madeline volunteered. She snuck out and helped the family get back to safety. She and her siblings and the others inside literally held down the fort over the next eight days. And then on the ninth day, Madeline was greeted by a welcome sight. A group of 40 Frenchmen had arrived from Montreal to help defend them. She ordered the gate opened and rushed out to greet them. To their leader, Monsieur de la Monnerie, she said, Sir, I surrender my arms to you, and allowed him to take command of the fort. They managed to run off the attacking Iroquois, as well as rescue the captured settlers, just as her parents were returning home. For her service, Madeline received a pension for the rest of her life, bestowed upon her by none other than the King of France himself. And a statue was erected in her honor along the riverbank where she risked her life to help save the lives of others. Lasting proof that heroes come in all shapes and sizes. And all ages, too. 
I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Thank you.